Well, if you're new here, my name is Adam Bowers. I'm the senior pastor of First Free Church, and I am so glad you're joining us this morning. Those of you who are visiting, and I've talked with some of you already today, we're really glad you're here. You are joining us in week three of something we're calling the Why Series, where we're asking the questions about the reasons behind the things we do as followers of Jesus and as a church. And if I'm being really honest with you, and I will always be really honest with you, I have had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the church over the years. It's true. There have been times when I have not been real happy with church, or I've questioned church. I've wondered why we do all the stuff that we do. Growing up as a young person in a very traditional church, I saw a lot of rules and regulations from many of the church leaders that I didn't fully understand. I didn't know the reason for. I didn't have the why for some of these rules. And maybe some of these you've heard before. I heard things like, it's a sin to watch a football game on Sunday because those guys are working and Sunday is the Sabbath And so they're sinning by playing football because they're getting paid for it. And you're sinning by watching the commercials, which is how they get paid for it. So you see how that works. It's a sin to watch football on Sunday. I heard things like it's a sin to use playing cards, face cards. Because face cards are used in gambling. And gambling's a sin, so therefore it's a sin to have the appearance of gambling. Therefore you should not use playing cards. I heard things like, it's a sin to go watch a movie in a theater, because if someone sees you, even if you're going to a good movie, they might think that you're going to a bad movie, or they might think that you'll go into the good movie, they see you walk into that theater, and then after everybody's in their theaters, you're going to switch out and go to a bad movie. And they might think that. So you shouldn't go see a movie. And if you're going to see a good movie, the same studio that made that good movie probably makes a bad movie. And even if you think they don't, you can't know for sure. And so it's a sin to go to the movies. There are many, many examples like that that I could give. And probably many of you have your own that you could add to that list. And here's the thing, as I heard church leaders share their regulations, and not all of them had that, but many of the leaders in my church had different rules and regulations like that. As I grew in my faith and my understanding of God's Word, there was a disconnect between a lot of the rules and regulations that I heard coming from church and what I saw in the Bible. Because I looked everywhere, and I didn't find a single verse about football on Sundays. I did not find a verse about playing cards. I didn't find a verse about movie theaters, and so I was confused. And even though a lot of church leaders were saying, these are the rules, and they're biblical, and it's biblical doctrine, and this is what you ought to follow if you're a Christian, and if you don't, we're going to start to wonder if you're living in sin. Even though they said that, when I looked at the book that was supposed to be the source of the truth and the only real reliable source that we could go back to to filter our lives through, I went, I don't see that in there. So I honestly became very disillusioned with the church. And maybe some of you have been there. Disillusioned with the church, seeing a disconnect that happens between people who are leading in the church and what the book said that they were supposed to be following. And it wasn't that I didn't want to follow God. 
It's just that I wasn't actually sure if some of the leaders in my church were actually following God. Because it didn't seem like what they were saying God's laws were were what God's word actually said. And so maybe they were just treating their preferences or their personal convictions as if they were church doctrine. Fast forward many years. As I got into college and became an adult, I was able to work in many ministries and churches, serve with some religious leaders, some of whom are very prominent, some of whom are still very prominent and well-known and on TV and different things like that. And I got close to a number of these different people and was kind of in, in the, um, the workings of some, got to be very part of the collaboration that would happen in the ministries that they did. And I met some wonderful people, some very genuine, authentic, God-honoring people, but I met a lot of them who once you got behind closed doors and you heard the way they talked and you heard what they were focused on and you heard what their priorities were, you started to question the genuineness of this whole thing. It seemed like while in public they knew to talk about their humility and to talk about following God and to talk about the Bible, they said all the right things in public. As soon as we got behind closed doors and I got to see them in action in real life, and I spent years with some of these people, I saw a pattern of hypocrisy, of greed, of gossip, of insecurity, of self-centeredness, of ambition. And nothing that I saw in private matched what I saw in public And so it causes you to question, what's the point? If these are the leaders of the church, if these are prominent, respected, everybody else is going, oh, they're so amazing, and yet I know behind the scenes what's really going on in their lives. And that's not to say that we're not all sinners. We are. That's not to say that I don't make mistakes every day. I do. But these are people whose lives were characterized by their reputation in closed circles was that this person was very self-centered and that Christianity for them, the church for them in many cases, was actually a vehicle for self-promotion. And you really did not see the purposes and the reasons that come from God's word evident in their life. So it causes you to ask some questions. And maybe you have been there. Maybe you have felt that way about the church sometimes. And I know you're probably sitting there thinking, we aren't supposed to talk about this in church. Like this is that thing we just don't discuss, right? But this is exactly where we should be talking about this. This is the place where we need to first and foremost pull back the curtain and just be honest and transparent and vulnerable about this thing called church. Why do we do it? Why are we here? What is all of this about? If we were to take away all of the structure and the programs and the services and the building, would we still have a church? Have you ever known a church leader, I don't necessarily mean here, but a leader of some church somewhere who betrayed your trust or who when you got to know them, you started to see that there was a completely different side of them and it seemed like that was the real side. And you started to question Is any of this genuine? Is any of this authentic? What is really going on here? If that's you, you're not alone. A recent study showed that contrary to a lot of surveys that have been done, which were really probably a lot more wishful thinking, when you call somebody up and say, do you attend church regularly? You're going to get the answer yes a lot more than probably really happens because that's just the way we are. 
So more deep analysis has shown that probably less than 20% of people in this country attend church on a weekly basis, and that number has been steadily shrinking year after year. It's actually about 17% now, down from 20 a few years ago. And if you look at young adults today, young adults who grew up in the church, 70 to 80% statistically will leave the church after they graduate high school. And even among the older generations, there is a lot of declining church attendance. And when you ask people and surveys and studies have been done to figure out what is going on here, there are some patterns that emerge about why are people leaving the church. And do you know what one of the number one reasons or probably the number one reason comes back to? It's a lack of authenticity. What I heard didn't match what I saw. 66% of young people who leave the church say that their church was hypocritical and fake. They say things like, I had lots of questions and they didn't have any real answers. I had questions, but they weren't even really willing to talk about them. The answers I got were superficial. The church demonizes anything outside the church and ignores the problems inside and outside the church. God appeared, one person said, to be missing from the church that I attended. And one of the things that strikes me about the church is that we have not always done a very good job of communicating why we exist or what we're all about. What is the church? Why are we here? Why do we do this? Why do we come here every week? What's the point of all of this? And that's our message today. Why church? What is it? How does it work? Why is it here? When we bring up a question like why church, if you grew up in a, a, a church that that had an answer to this, oftentimes that answer went something like this. There is a favorite verse that you can throw out there. Whenever somebody says, why should I go to church? Why should I be in church? This is sort of the drop the mic verse, okay? And some of you probably know exactly where I'm going with this because you're supposed to be able to share this verse and go, boom, there it is. It's Hebrews 10.25. And it says this, and let us not neglect meeting together, uh, our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Why should you attend church? Or as it was often communicated to me, why should you be in church every time the doors are open? Ever heard that before? Because God said so. It says right there, don't neglect our meeting together. That means every time there's a meeting, you better be there. And I remember being told that if there's something going on at the church, you got to be there. You're not supposed to neglect that meeting. So if we call a Tuesday night meeting, you better be there, even if it's 11 p.m. You got to meet. You can't forsake that meeting. You can't neglect that meeting. And so this verse has been used over and over again to, to give you a response, a quick response to some really serious questions about church. And I don't know about you, but that just wasn't enough for me. It wasn't enough for me to just have the easy answer of because God said so, so you got to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday evening, all these other times that we've come up with for church. It's not enough for me because I didn't see in there what day, how often, what time, what the service was supposed to look like, what type of songs were supposed to be sung, how many instruments should be on the stage, should there be instruments at all. Should the songs we sing just be psalms, or can we add some new ones to that? Does it have to be hymns, or can modern ones be okay? 
What's the volume level that you're supposed to have? How fast, how loud, how slow, how soft? What kind of chairs are we supposed to have? Where is it supposed to happen? None of those things that we commonly treat as our expectations that we bring to church are specified in here. It just says don't neglect to meet together. And I believe that something is missing from our common understanding of what church is. I believe that as we talk about church, that this is actually kind of embedded in how we communicate. A mistake that we make in our understanding of what the church is. Here's the problem. Here is the problem. We go to church. Now bear with me. Okay, I'm going to come, I'll come around to this. I'm going to explain this. But the problem is we go to church. I want to talk about what the church is, the what of the church. The word in the New Testament for church is the word ecclesia. Ecclesia is a word that means an assembly or gathering of members of a group. You may have heard that ecclesia is a special word that was applied to the church because the root words mean called out ones and the church was a called out people. And while it's true that the church is a called out people, the the reality is that that interpretation is a bit of an anachronism. Because for hundreds of years, the word ecclesia had already referred to a group or gathering of people. And so when Jesus used the word ecclesia to refer to the church, he didn't necessarily have a special new word in mind that was saying, these are my called out ones. He was just using the word that everybody used to refer to a gathering of people. But he was talking about his people, my gathering of people. And he talks about the church first in Matthew chapter 16. You can turn there if you want and and I'll just tell you that because we're, we're dealing with a, a topic of the church this morning, we're not going to be in one main passage. We're actually going to bounce around a little bit, and there's a good reason for that. Because sometimes we need to take a look at a topic and step back and see the big picture and say, what does the whole counsel of God have to say about the church? What do we find all throughout God's Word that helps us to understand what this church is supposed to be and why it exists? So if you need help following along with the verses, you can go to efree.org Bible. And you will find there a link to today's message that includes all of the scriptures laid out for you. Or you can follow along in your Bible as we go, or you can do so in the YouVersion Bible app. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus is talking with Peter and he says this, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. A few things I want you to notice about this. First of all, Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. Not that I want you to build my church. I will build it. So Jesus is going to build the church. He says all the powers of hell or Hades, as it says in the Greek, will not be able to conquer it. This phrase, powers of hell, in the original text is the gates of Hades, And the gates of Hades was a figure of speech that referred to the power of death. A lot of people, and this is a common thing that happens, people will go to Scripture, and and pastors are often very guilty of this, and they'll just kind of look at the words and sort of make up their own ideas of why these words were used. And so you get lots of interpretation about how the church is supposed to be taking it to the gates of hell, charging hell with a squirt gun, you know, and we're going to just bring it to them, and the gates of hell won't stand against us. That's not really what the verse says. The powers of hell is a figure of speech that was commonly used to refer to the power of death, 
The gates of Hades meant the power of death. In fact, Hades didn't even mean hell in the way that we understand it. Hades actually referred to where the dead go, whether they're righteous or unrighteous. It was not actually the place where Satan and the demons have all the bad people. So it's not this idea that the church is going to take it to the gates of hell. It's the idea that the power of death will not conquer the church. Some versions use the word prevail here, and that's fine, but it's not not the most accurate version. Conquer or overcome or dominate. That's what that word means that is translated here as conquer. It's to dominate or overpower. In other words, what Jesus is saying is not that we're taking it to the gates of hell, not that there aren't some good applications that come out of that, but what he's really saying is, I will build my gathering of people, my assembly of people who are followers of me, and the power of death will never overcome them. Why does he need to say that? Because in Jerusalem and in Israel at this time, there are all these different sects of people, different people following different teachers, different belief groups, and most of those fizzle out. Eventually, most belief groups fizzle out. And what Jesus is telling his little band of followers is, hey, guess what? This thing that we're here in on the ground floor, it's never going to die. It is only going to be built. I will build my church, my following, my gathering. I will build it. And the power of death will never overcome it. My members will never die out. There will always be my church. So that's what Jesus is talking about here. The church, number one, is built by Jesus. The church is built by Jesus, but what is he building? Is it a structure? Is it a temple? Is it a tabernacle? We find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Paul says, we are both God's workers. In other words, you're a follower of God, I'm a follower of God, we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. God's building, Jesus' building, is not a physical structure. It's people. See, in the Old Testament, you had the temple and the tabernacle, which were buildings where God resided in those places, and that's where he communicated with people was through the tabernacle and then the temple. And when Jesus came and he died on the cross, there was this curtain that was in the temple that after Jesus died, it, it tore in two miraculously which was amazing because it was incredibly strong. There's no way any human could have ripped this thing in half. And it tore into miraculously to symbolize the fact that God no longer was separated from people by that division, but now his dwelling was not in the temple, but it was in us. His dwelling now would be in us. The building that Jesus is building is people, and the book of Ephesians talks about this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 says this, Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. We, his people, his followers, we are now becoming a holy temple. Not the structure, not the building, the people. Through him, you Gentiles, that's the non-Jewish people, you Gentiles who Paul is writing to are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And so the church is a people, not a building. What is the church? The church is a people, not a building, built by Jesus, but a people, not a building. I said earlier that a big part of our problem is how we communicate about church. It's a common misunderstanding that we have, and it's understandable, but it does cause part of the problem. The problem is that we go to church. That is not at all the idea that Jesus has for us. 
When we think of the church as a building or this gathering, we misunderstand what God intended the church to be. What the Bible says the church is, you see, we are the church. It's not this building. It's not this gathering of people. It is the people. We are the church. Whether we meet here or in a high school or in a movie theater or in a stadium or in a tent or out in a field. We, the people, are the church, the followers of God. And so we don't go to church. We gather as the church. We don't go to church, we gather as the church. The what of church is not the building, it's not the auditorium that we're in right now, it's not a specific time on Sunday, it's not the types of songs we sing or how often or when, it's not the the decorations that we have around, it's not the stained glass, that's not the church. We often think of it that way. We say we're going to church, but that's not the church. The church is you. The what of the church is you, it's the followers of God. And that should change the way we talk about church a little bit. Not as the end goal, but as the means. Church is not the end goal, it's the means. We don't just gather to gather. We don't just come here to check the box. I did it. I went to church. I did my church responsibility. I fulfilled my obligation. And the goal is not to amass as many people here as possible. That was never the goal. That is not what this is all about. There's something much more to this. It's not just to attend the church. It's to be the church because we are the church. It's what Jesus said we are. Which leads to a really important question. If we are the church, you and I, followers of God, if we are the church, then how are we supposed to be the church? How is that supposed to work? What is that supposed to look like? How can we be the church if it's not this building, this structure, this staff, this service, all of those things. How can we be the church? Well, I spent some time this week studying everything I could find in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, because that's where the church is talked about most extensively, that would explain what we're supposed to be about as the church of Jesus the followers of God, the ecclesia, the gathering of people, the assembly of people. What is it that we're supposed to be doing according to God's word? And I found lots and lots of different things. I tried to pick out the representative aspects of that. And I came up with a list, maybe 20 or so things. I said, this is is what the New Testament, this is what the Bible tells us the church is supposed to look like. These are the things we're supposed to be all about. And then I took those and I tried to categorize them. So I sort of started to approach them with a blank slate and just said, okay, if I were to start lumping these together, which ones go together? Which ones fit really well together? And I found that all of these different passages that talk about the church, they all boil down to five categories of things. I can put them under five categories. And what I want to do now is just share with you the results of that. The list, the five things and several examples of each that we see directly from the word of God are what Jesus or his messengers have told us we are supposed to be all about as a church. How to church. How to be the church. And if you want this list, you don't have to try to write this down. It's available for you at efree.org Bible. Just go there, click the link at the top for today's message notes, and you will see as you scroll past the verses, there is this whole list right there. You can copy, paste it, do whatever you want with it. Five things that we can do to be the church. Number one, worship. We worship together. We are to practice communion together, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. 
We're told to sing together, spiritual songs with each other, to each other, to God. We're to thank God together, he says in Ephesians 5. We're supposed to pray together, and we see this example in the early church. Number two is to share. We're to worship God, we're to share him with others. Jesus said we are to go and make disciples And so we are supposed to be about the business of making new disciples for God and then baptizing them. It's something we are told to do as followers of Jesus. In fact, 1 Peter talks about the fact that we need to live our lives in such a way that when people, the people will ask us for the hope that we have. He he gives this whole explanation there in 1 Peter 3 of here's how you're supposed to live your life so that when people ask you for the hope that you have, you can be ready to give an answer to them. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church, as followers of Jesus, as part of his group. We're supposed to send out missionaries, which we did today. The early church did this. Number three, we are to grow. To grow personally and to help each other grow. And that was really the focus of my study. Ephesians 4 talks about equipping believers to do the ministry. And so the leaders of the church were told not to go do all of the ministry, but to equip the believers in the church to do the ministry. It's very interesting. A lot of people think that the church is a place where you can go and give your money so someone else can go do ministry. That's not what it is at all. The church leader's job is to equip you to do ministry. We're to grow together in that. Equipping is part of that growth. We're to teach and counsel each other, Colossians says. We are also to teach people who will teach people. This is supposed to be a cycle. This is supposed to be a never-ending process. Just as Jesus said, I will build my church and the power of death will never overcome it. It will never die. It is supposed to be a continuous cycle. Making disciples and teaching them to do everything I commanded you, which was make disciples. And then in 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul tells Timothy, entrust these things to faithful men who will teach others also. In other words, what he's saying there is, I don't want you to just teach to convey information. This is not just about a one-way transfer. I give you information, you go check the box, and we're good. That's not what this is. It's to teach people who will teach people. That's part of helping them grow. We are to connect together as followers of God. Matthew 18, we're told to keep each other accountable. If there's something we identify as a concern of sin in another believer's life, we're even told how to do that. We're to live in community and share meals together. The early church did that. We're to share each other's burdens It's kind of hard to share each other's burdens if you don't feel like you can open up about your burdens. We're supposed to share each other's burdens. We're supposed to pray for each other. We're supposed to love each other. In fact, Jesus says that other people will know you're my disciples by how you show love. And he didn't stop there. Other people will know you're my disciples by how you show love for one another. Not just how you show love, how you show love for one another. Now think about what that means. The implication of that is that people who do not know Jesus have to see people who do know Jesus together and see how they show love for each other. And that's how they'll know you're different. That's how they'll know you're a disciple of Jesus because you guys actually love each other. You guys actually get along. Even though you don't always disagree, you don't always agree. You love each other. That's how Jesus said people would know we're his disciples. We're supposed to encourage each other. Finally, we are to serve. This is the fifth category of things I found in the Bible that the church is supposed to do. In 1 Corinthians 12 and also in Romans 12, we learn that Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, has given each of us who are a follower of him gifts or a gift. 
something special that we are supposed to use to serve other people, to benefit other people. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, use your gifts to serve others. We're supposed to care for the needy. James talks about this. We're supposed to share resources with whoever has need. That's what the early church did. We're supposed to be hospitable with each other. A lot of people think that hospitality is a spiritual gift. And I'm, I'm glad you think you have the spiritual gift of hospitality, but the Bible never calls that a spiritual gift. All the Bible says is, all of you believers, you're all supposed to be hospitable with each other. So if you took that test and you didn't get hospitality, you're not off the hook. Be hospitable to one another is a command for all of us. We're all supposed to be hospitable with each other. And in that same chapter, 1 Peter 4, Peter says that because of the gifts that God has given us, special, unique abilities, insights, propensities that he has given us to serve each other and even those who are not followers of God. Because of that, we are, he says, stewards of God's varied or diverse grace. In other words, God, for whatever reason, because we are, we are simple, foolish humans, it seems weird that he would entrust us with this responsibility, but God has entrusted us with a portion of his grace And we are stewards, Peter says, of his grace in this world. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means you have been gifted in a way that God expects you to use and steward well. Steward wisely. What are you doing with the gifts he's given you? What are you doing to serve other people? That's what the church is supposed to be all about. This is how to church. Worship. Share. Grow connect and serve. It's how God wants us to live and collaborate together. And so the question that I would have for us then is, how are we doing? If this were a report card and we got a grade on each of these five areas, how would God grade us? Not in this gathering, not in this building, not in this institution, as a church, as a people of God living right here. How are we doing? And I want you to know something. As I studied these passages in God's Word, and looked at the contexts for each one of them to make sure I really understood what are they really saying. There was something curiously missing. There was something that I never found, no matter how hard I looked. I never found in any of these passages any kind of prescription for a specific program or style or methodology. Nowhere in Scripture did I see any kind of prescription for a specific way of doing that thing. It just says, you need to do this thing. Here's what you need to do if you're going to be a church. Here's what you need to do as followers of Jesus. Here's what you need to do together in community. How you're going to do it, that's very flexible. That's very adaptable. Which makes sense because there are different cultures and communities all over the world. And as times change, cultures change, and the way we accomplish these things may change. There are things that we can do today to fulfill some of these requirements, some of these expectations, using technology and tools that didn't exist 50 years ago. And so, of course, the methodologies and the programs and the approaches have to change. But what we're supposed to do to be a church does not change. So what is the church? Well, it's the people. It's the followers of Jesus. And how should those people, the church, function as a church? Worship, share, grow, connect, and serve. It's not all about the weekend gathering. It's not all about the building or the style or the approach, or looking a certain way, or acting a certain way, or saying certain things when you come here. The church is about worshiping God, about sharing Him with other people, 
about growing in Him together and helping each other grow, about connecting with each other in community and for support and encouragement and accountability. It's about serving other people and serving God and serving each other together. That's what the church is all about. That's what we're supposed to do. The church is not just for now, right now, this morning, today. The church is for tomorrow. The church is for Wednesday. The church is for Saturday and every day in between. And what we do here is is just the, the appetizer for what we're supposed to go out and do and be as a church. It's for going to work tomorrow morning. It's for hanging out with the kids. It's for having a family over for dinner. It's for getting to know your neighbors. It's for talking with your coworkers. It's for engaging in service projects and ministries and activities and loving people and caring for people and meeting their needs. The church isn't for here. It's for out there too. And so the evidence that the church is real is more about what happens out there than what happens in here. Don't get me wrong, this is important. But this isn't church. We are the church. And tomorrow we will still be the church. So why do we gather? Why do we come together every week? Why do we do this? That's the why question we want to end on today. I want to go back to the standard response verse. Hebrews 10.25. Don't neglect meeting together. Hebrews 10.25. Why gather as a church? Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, what I want to do is put the verse that comes before this on the screen. I want you to see what this does to the context. Verse 24 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Do you see what that does when you put these things together? It's not just meeting to meet. The church is not the end goal. The church is a launching platform to do these things. Think of ways, brainstorm ways, he says, to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, to go and be the church, and don't forget to meet together And that's supposed to be an encouragement to you so that we can come together and think together and brainstorm and motivate each other to go do love and good works. The gathering here is not the end goal. The gathering is motivation. The gathering is us coming together to help each other, to equip each other, to to grow, to go and be the church together. Over and over again in the New Testament when you see the church coming together, oftentimes it's to encourage and challenge and embolden people who are going out into the world. We're praying over people for boldness for courage, because they're going to go be the church. This is just the gathering, but they're going to go be the church and grow and connect and serve. Now, I have to give you a caveat, because otherwise, I know what's going to happen. Every time one of you says, we need to go to church, someone else is going to go, ah, we can't use that anymore, because he said we are the church. It's okay to use church that way. It's the common understanding of the word. We say we're going to go to church. I get it. We know what that means. And when we talk about churches, a lot of times we're talking about local churches. So we say that church does this, that church does that. And that's our common understanding of the world. And and that's okay. And I'm still going to use that term that way. But all the while, we have to understand that's not what the Bible says church is. We can say this is first free church. 
Really what we are is first free gathering of the church. Gathering of a portion of the church. That's what it is. That's really what it is. And we have to understand that that's really what the church is that we are all about here. That's what this is. It's not the building or the gathering. It's the people of God. But I do want to talk about the gatherings for a minute as we close. Because we still have this question. Why do we gather as a church? Why do we do this? Why do we come together? And I think the most helpful way to think about this is to give you some analogies. Analogies are never perfect. Do not try to analyze these to the nth degree, okay? Every analogy breaks down at some point. I want to do this to demonstrate what different local churches can often be like. So let me give you an example here. The first one is the cruise ship. The cruise ship church is exclusive. It is privileged. It is a place where those who go on the cruise ship do not expect to go there to work in the engine room. They do not go on a cruise to be preparing the food for other people. In fact, people who go on a cruise do not go there with the intention of serving anyone else at all. They go there with the intention of being constantly served. And this is the mentality that many churches have where people come expecting for the programs and the ministries and the activities that I expect from the church to serve me and my family and my kids. And that's why I'm here, so I can be served. That's the cruise ship mentality for a church. But I go there for what I can get out of the church. Most cruise ship church members are not actively involved in a lot of outreach, at least not meaningful outreach that's not fairly token. In fact, oftentimes it's the cruise ship church that is all about giving money so that other people can serve on their behalf. It's a whole lot easier for me to give you $50 to go serve those people than for me to actually give my time to go and serve them. And so I don't actually do much serving. I pay someone else to do that. It's the cruise ship church mentality. Most of their communities, most of their community efforts in a cruise ship church are really kind of social affairs. The goal is not to go deep or be vulnerable or transparent because let's be honest, we're all just here to kind of have a good time, enjoy the services that are here. Hopefully we're a little bit entertained and kind of enjoy it and they don't do anything or say anything that maybe offends us a little bit or, or you know, causes us to have a problem. And then we're going to go and do our thing and live our life. And so this is not a place where you're supposed to come up to me and share what your deep struggles are. Because that's not what I'm here for, man. I'm just here for me. I'm here for what I can get out of this. That's a cruise ship church mentality. So they're not safe places to open up about where you're really struggling. Now the Bible says that the church, the following of Jesus is for everyone. Every gender, every ethnic background, every history, all of it, all different types of people and cultures are welcome in the family of God. It's not supposed to be an exclusive thing. The Bible says that each one in the church is given gifts by God so that they can serve and be involved in the church. Paul calls it the body of Christ. He says that in that body, you have different members. Some members are like the hands, some members are like the ears, some members are like the eyes, some members are like the feet. Sorry if that's you. I know that's a weird analogy. But that's what Paul says. You have different members in the body of Christ. And he says this, when each part of the body is functioning properly, it builds the whole body up in love. The problem with the cruise ship church is that you don't have each part functioning properly. You have most people doing very little. 
And so if we take Paul's analogy of a body, that would be a paralyzed body of Christ. Because a lot of the parts aren't actually doing anything. The cruise ship church, attending and being served, that's not the picture that the Bible has for us. Then, there's the battleship church. This is a good one. I like the battleship church. Man, they mean business. We're not sipping drinks by the pool here. We're manning some guns. And the battleship church has a lot of good things going for it. A battleship church has a lot of people involved. Not everybody, but a lot of people. It's, it's the mission. We are all engaged. We are serving. We're doing stuff together. Here's the problem with the battleship church, as, as I'm using the analogy. The battleship church has this mentality that our objective is to defend this ship. We are here to defend this ship and the way we do things here and the way we talk to each other and the way we have things structured, and that's what we're all about. It's not very welcoming to somebody that wants to get on that ship. The battleship church tends to be fairly exclusive even as they think they're doing all the right things. Lots of people are serving, lots of people are doing things, but they have very particular ways of doing it, and one of their goals is to make sure that things stay that way. We have a certain rhythm here. We have a certain way of doing things here. And if you bring up something that we don't like, oh, I'm not sure if we want to see that. And so you end up with some problems in the battleship church. It's not very welcome of outsiders, for instance. They often want their buildings to look very Christian-y. It's very important, and we're supposed to be different. I get that. But they believe very strongly in the traditions that they've developed over the years. And of course, we have to be discerning. I get that. We have to be careful what we allow into our lives to influence us. Last week, we talked about filtering everything we do through God's Word, and of course, that is very important. But battleship churches take this a whole step further and say, if you're going to mess with the way that we do things on this ship, we're going to have problems, and we're not going to like you, and we're going to accuse you of heresy, maybe. That happens. And if you want to find out what idols exist in a battleship church, just start messing with some traditions. And you will see where the idols really are when they don't fall in line with God's Word. These churches tend to be very quarrelsome because they want to keep things just like they usually are. And so they end up dividing with each other. As soon as someone on the ship has a different idea about how things should be run, those guns start pointing away from the shoreline and at the ship. And so battleship churches end up having these turrets that just point towards each other. And sooner or later in a battleship church, you're going to have fracturing and division because it was so important that we defend this ship. As if the ship, that local gathering, is what really, really matters. These churches are not safe places to open up about your struggles because when you do, it is revealed that you may not fit the mold. And so now some guns might be pointed at you because what you're struggling with isn't something we talk about here. That's the battleship church mentality. Let me ask you, if a soldier comes back from a fight with shrapnel in his or her chest and the medic walks up to them and says, are you okay? What sense does it make for that soldier to say, yep, I'm fine. Everything's good. Better than I deserve. And then go back to the fight the next day. How idiotic would that be? And yet that is how many of our churches function. Because we don't feel comfortable sharing the stuff that we're dealing with. We're all messed up. We're all broken. We all have stuff going on in our lives. We're all wrestling with things inside. And if we don't feel like we can share that, it's like a soldier coming back and saying, I'm good. 
and then going out to fight for another week with all kinds of untreated wounds. That's how many of our churches function. And I'm not saying that you should air out your dirty laundry everywhere you go and share all of your struggles with everyone, but I am saying that there need to be safe places here where you feel like you can share and be open and honest and where people, when we hear that kind of stuff, our response is not one of judgment or condemnation because guess what? That's not in our job description anyway. Our response is one of graciousness and support and compassion and help because that's what we're supposed to do for each other as a church. I remember when I was in high school, I played basketball and uh, when a shot goes up in basketball, what are you supposed to do, especially if you're a post player? What do you do? You box out, right? Shot goes up, you box out. You get low, low center of gravity. You're trying to push them back as much as you can. If you're lucky, you knock them off balance a little bit. And as soon as that ball hits the rim, you're jumping up to try to get that rebound and pull it down. And there's 10 other arms in there grabbing that ball just like you. And you're trying to rip it away from it and grab it as hard as you can. You're just wrestling for the ball and give it to me. And there's somebody else that's trying to rip it away from you. And the whole time, the coaches are over on the sideline yelling, same team. Same team. You know how often I have felt like yelling that in churches? We're fighting each other over secondary issues We're on the same team. The church gathering is not a battleship to defend. But there's one other church that I want to look at briefly. It's the aircraft carrier church. Like the battleship, the aircraft carrier church gets that it's in a fight. And everybody on board recognizes that they have a mission. They have roles. They have skills. They have areas that they're supposed to be accomplishing. Now, some of them are going to be in the infirmary. Some of them are going to be healing and recovering from wounds and things like that because they have all that on board the ship. They've got doctors and everything you need to take care of people. But most people have something to do on the aircraft carrier ship, on the church. Most of the members are engaged in serving somewhere. There's a great diversity of activities going on at any moment. All of them are moving in the same direction. Even if they have some disagreements, they're moving in the same direction. Now, here's the big difference between the aircraft carrier church and the battleship church, okay? The big difference is the aircraft carrier church is a launching pad for daily missions into the world. That's the difference here. The aircraft carrier church recognizes that what we do here is just a launching pad meant to spur us on to go out and do stuff out there. And so daily missions, helicopters and planes are going out there to accomplish different things. And then we come back for refueling, for support, for healing, for encouragement to get back out in the fight. That's the aircraft carrier church. It's not just a place to defend. It's a platform for ministry. And I hope that these three churches, while they're not perfect analogies, will help us to think about what kind of church we want to be here. Why do we gather as a church? It's not to get as many people here as possible, although we hope more will come. It's not to offer lots of great services and activities so people enjoy themselves, although I hope you do. It's not to reinforce our walls and keep anyone from messing with the way we do church here. Our why for gathering as a church is to be a launching pad to go out and be the church. It's a place where we can encourage each other and heal and grow and worship God together and connect with each other, not so that we went to church, but so that we can go and be the church. And so the church is not this building or even this gathering. The church is the people of God 
engaged in the mission of God together. That's what the church is. In a moment, we're going to have a a closing song. Our prayer team is going to be up here. If you would like to pray after the song is over, our prayer team will come up and you can have a chance to pray with them. Maybe there's something in the message this morning that caused you to realize, I need to get this right with God or I need prayer for this and we'd love to pray for you. But right now I'm going to ask that you just bow your heads in prayer with me as we ask God to help us to be the church. God, we know that you tell us our mission is not just here. It's out there. And so we pray that you would help us to have the courage, the boldness, to be your church every single day as we interact with our families, as we go to work, as we, as we meet with friends, as we share the gospel with people. Lord, I pray that it would not just be about checking the box here on Sunday morning, but God, that you would turn us into the people you want us to be living out our mission as the church as you have given it to us, not just in these walls, but in our community, Lord. Help us now as we focus about what it means to be the church, what an incredible blessing and privilege this is. Help us to leave here encouraged and excited and energized to wake up tomorrow morning and go be the church. Help us to be that for those around us, Lord. Help us to encourage each other with those words. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.